0: For the Richmond ice cream. Uh, how many years have we gone to, um, to, to throw an ice screening in the inner city? Has it, is it year number four, year number five? Y- you know, I was thinking about this um, right before I go, and I don't know if you guys can relate to this, I, I always kind of feel a little bit nervous. Be- well, I'm going to be there for the whole week, but for that whole week, I'm like kind of out of my comfort zone. You know, it's not a normal week that every day I'm, I'm mixing with people who are different than me, talking with them, praying for them. I don't do that every day. And so for that week, it's a little bit on my comfort zone. And so now we're going into that. I'm feeling a little bit nervous. But here's the thing. Whenever I do something for the Lord and I'm out of my comfort zone, I tend to rely upon him more. Aren't you guys the same way? And when you rely upon God more, you tend to experience him more. So it's one of those things where I'm kind of nervous, but I'm also looking forward to it because I'm going to be experiencing God more for that entire week. And so it's a, it's a mixed bag of emotions, but certainly I'm, I'm also excited about it. I, I did also want to share uh, one verse that's kind of captured my thinking for the ice screening, And it actually comes from Galatians 2.10. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to tell you and set up the verse. But there's this, this one part in Galatians where Paul is trying to give a first-hand testimony uh, for the legitimacy of his call and, uh, and his teaching and his ministry. And so he talks about this one time where he's meeting with the, the pillars of the church, you know, Peter and John. And, and, and during this meeting, they're affirming his ministry. Like, yeah, you got the gospel, it's right on, it's the same gospel that we're preaching. But then, you know, after they you imagine they bless them and they pray, and they, you know, you, you go to the Gentiles, we go to the Jews, thousands and thousands are gonna be converted through your ministry. But then they say these 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 last words, almost like as they're parting, they go, Oh yeah. You guys remember this? Remember the poor. You guys remember that? Re- remember the poor. And it's one of those things where where you know that what happens with Paul by reading the rest of the story, Paul's going to go on in thousands and thousands. And really, this gospel is going to change the whole world. And, and you would think that by the gospel changing the whole world, intuitively, naturally, you, it would affect the poor. So why insert like, oh yeah, remember the poor? And this is my realization. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm in ministry. You know, I'm, I'm like full-time Christian professional. And my, my, my schedule is really full of really good things, and yet it's really possible for me as a full-time Christian professional to forget the poor. (laughs) How does that work? But somehow that works. You know, I'm meeting with these leaders, I'm preparing for this message, I'm going to be reading the scriptures, and you know, I don't live in the inner city. And when I drive to work, I drive right into the parking lot. And so it's really easy for me to go through an entire week not really interacting with the poor. And so if I'm not interacting with the poor, it's really easy for me to just forget the poor. And that's why the pillars of the church said, oh, by the way, remember the poor. In other words, do something very intentional in your schedule because ministry would drive you one way, but you have to remember God's heart is a heart of compassion. And so I love it how our church at least once a year is going to have a series about generosity towards the poor. And I love it how our church, at least one time of the year, is going to set aside a whole week to say, we're not going to forget the poor. And we're going to mix with them, we're going to love them, we're going to build relationship, we're going to pray with them, we're going to talk scripture with them. So, this is our opportunity to remember the poor because it's so easy for us to forget the poor, right? Can I get an amen from somebody here? Okay, you guys can relate. Now, now a few words on this joint service, because I'm, I'm betting that there's, you know, people in our church like, okay, a joint service with Living Hope, it's in a different place, it's in the inner city, I don't know if I'm going to go. Uh, let me share a few words just to encourage you to go, okay? Encourage you to go to this joint service on July 21st, okay? Here's the deal. I bet you that when these two churches, very, very different get together and worship the same God, you're going to look around the congregation and you're going to see the power of God. In a broken society where different races kind of huddle in their own corner, the gospel is going to bring different churches, different ethnicities, different social groups together under the same God. You're going to look around the room and see the evidence of the power of God and you just don't want to miss that. Now, Pastor Aaron was here, if you remember, and he guaranteed everyone's safety. And I was talking to a lawyer from our church, going, how can he guarantee everyone's safety? How how exactly does that work? And I reasoned, I said, look, Pastor Aaron's a man of faith. Really, nothing can happen to you in the inner city without God being sovereignly in control. And so since God is in control, everything is going to be ultimately all right. Just like if you don't live in the inner city and you go back home, nothing can happen to you there without God's sovereign control. Just like in the inner city, nothing can happen to you there without God's sovereign control. So trust God, and let's go, and I'll see you there, okay? Okay, let's go into the book of Ephesians. Do you know how long we've been going through the book of Ephesians? Thirteen weeks. <laughs> I, I, I get up here, and I have to do a fair amount of prep before I get up here. And so, if anyone's really studying the book of Ephesians, maybe I might be the first one. And I got to tell you, this book is awesome. This book is so rich. I don't know if you guys have seen that there's so much more beneath the surface, but but I'll tell you honestly, when I go into my quiet time, guess what chapter I'm still on? Chapter one. I haven't even made it past chapter 1 because chapter 1 is and you know it just, it's just such a rich book but, but I want to summarize this rich rich book with profound depth in three words now these are not my own three words these are actually from Watchman Nee I don't know if I agree with all of Watchman Nee's theology but I think his book on Ephesians is pretty good now chapter 1 and 2 can be summarized in one word if you guys remember this one word what is it? It's sit. It's sit. Okay? Sit. So when I'm sitting, I'm resting all of my fatigued muscles on this chair. I'm just letting go. I'm relaxing. Right? Chapter 1 and 2 is sit. Now, that's weird for us because we're like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm like, you know, this overachiever. I want to do something. And the gospel comes. No, the first place you come is you, you, you just, you just you sit. You just Rest because Jesus has actually done it all. So what you do is you just receive what Jesus... What what has Jesus done? Jesus, God's chosen you before the foundation of the world. God's called you holy and blameless because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you are adopted son, you're adopted daughter of the high king. So that means everything. So just, just rest in that. You have been saved by Grace by faith not from all your hard work it's not from yourself it's a gift of god okay so the first two chapters in one word is sit now to the degree that you know how to sit and rest in christ then you have power to walk because people always feel like oh the first thing i want to do as a christian is i want to walk no 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 your power for walking comes from your sitting So to the degree that you can sit and rest and know the victory is won, then you have power to walk. Okay, what does walk mean? Okay, walk uh, is chapters 3, 4, and 5. Now this is where Paul is saying, hey, let's work this gospel into all of your relationships. Marriage, work, you know, friendships. Every relationship in life, work through this gospel. And then you have power to walk. And then those relationships change. And then people look at those relationships and they go, I haven't seen anything like that before. You have to explain that to me. It's a life that demands explanation. Okay, so chapters 1 and 2 is sit. Chapters 3, 4, and 5 is walk. Now we go to chapter 6. And I still have one word for you guys. Daniel, can you come up here, please? I went to Home Depot last night and got this tape. Oh. Hey Daniel. Okay. I'm gonna try this one more time. If this doesn't work, we're just going to use our imagination. Okay? Actually you can help me. Can you help me with this? I don't know. (laughs) Just trail around. Okay. Now what I'm doing here is I am making a circle with this blue. Tape. Okay? Here we go. All right. Okay. Now, chapter 6, the last part of Ephesians. We're ending the series today. Your call as a Christian is just to stand. That's what you're called to do. Okay. Now, this circle of blue tape, this circle represents your position in Christ. And we've been talking about that position in Christ. It's chapters 1 and 2. What's chapters 1 and 2? Well, because of what Jesus did, you are chosen. You are holy and blameless in Christ. That, now, when you're in this circle, you know it. That's your identity. You're standing strong. in I'm holy. I'm chosen in, in Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross. You are a son of the high king. Now, as long as you stay in this circle, you know that. You practice that. You live that out, okay? Now, the the, the news of chapter 6 is that there is a personal evil force that's actually trying to knock you off of this circle. Okay? So we're going to act that out. All right? No, but it's one thing to say, hey, Daniel, I just want you to stand. And then look at him. He's like hands in pockets. He's like willy-nilly standing, right? But it's different... If I say there's a personal evil force that's coming against you, trying to knock you out of the circle, then you imagine that the stand is gonna be a little different. Okay, I'm the evil one. I'm trying to get you out of the circle. All right, ready? Stand and be strong. Ready? Okay, ready? Oh, wow, okay, wow. <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't expecting that. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Okay, You're doing this a little too well. Okay. Now, now, now let me, let me read some verses to you just to make, just to make, (laughs) wow. Okay. Just to make this really, really clear. Okay. So this is what, this is what Paul is saying. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm going to go into this a little later and explain it more, okay? Therefore, taking up your whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Okay? Now, Daniel is here, and he's acting out really, really well. He's not passive. He's not willy-nilly standing. He is He's really standing, right? Right? He's, he's almost like sumo standing, right? So when the scripture says stand, it's it's like you stand. You stay strong. Stand. You have to stand. Okay? There's a lot of Christians that don't know there's a personal evil force that wants to knock them off. There's a lot of Christians that go through their day and they're not really fighting to stay in the Lord, stay strong in the Lord. So the word, please, don't forget this word, is stand. You know, sumo stand! Okay, now Danny and I were talking about this. And the truth of the matter is that that's not really how Satan works. He didn't come like a full frontal assault. So really, if we're trying to be more literal, like more exact for how he works, it's more like this. Come by your side. He'll lay a hand on you. He'll whisper into your ear, make you think that it's your own own voice. You'll say, Daniel, you're uh, gonna be an intern this summer. Daniel, we both know all the things that you've done. Previous relationships. You can't hide that from anyone. What gives you the right to say that you're a minister of God after all the stuff you've done? You don't even deserve to be here. Why don't you just stand out of this circle? Okay. Okay. And then, and then what would... Okay, again, we're thinking in Ephesians 6, we haven't gone there, but, but you would counter that by saying what? Um,
1: who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is God who
2: justifies um, who is to condemn. It's Christ Jesus who has died, and not only that, who has risen again.
0: Ouch. Okay. I'm coming from it differently. D- Daniel, look, you're only here for the summer. For the summer, it's a very short time. You're very theological, man. You're very lofty. These kids, you know when you talk to them, they have those blank stares? <laughs> That's how they will always treat you. You can't connect with them. Don't even try. Just get out of this circle. Come on, let's go.
2: Do not grow weary in doing good, for at the right time you'll reap a harvest if you do not
0: can we give a hand to our warrior here? Okay. <clears throat> All right, let's open our Bibles. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Okay, I will go into this, unpack it in a little bit, but let me just explain. I think a lot of times when we talk about spiritual warfare a lot of us naturally feel like, okay, yeah, that's relevant, but it's relevant to church leaders. It's relevant to the prayer warriors in our church. You know, the group over there, but not really me. It doesn't really affect me. Uh, I just want to point this out, just, just a biblical point, the context of this passage. When Paul is writing these words, who is he writing to? Just think of the different circles and the different audiences of people that he just talked to. He talked to married couples, Right? And after he talked to married couples, then he talked to children, right? Okay, so really he addressed all the different circles of the church, and now when he says finally, he's talking to all of them. So in this passage, he's actually talking to children. Now listen, you're thinking, look, yeah, this is relevant to to the Gilberts and the Peter and the Pastor Waynes. No, this is relevant to all of you, including children. Uh, I'll give you an example. There is this mother in our church. And her daughter was 10 years old, and she was making cookies in the, in the kitchen. She was making cookies, putting them on the hot tray. She turned to her daughter and said, this is for your class. I don't want you, don't want you to eat any of it. Leaves the room. <clears throat> the daughter looks at the cookies, and she hears this whisper in her ear. If you just take one, your mom will never know. Now, this, again, I think she's about 10 years old, maybe younger. She was scared and she ran away. Which I actually think is part of the armor and standing strong. Sometimes you can be strong by running away. But that's what she did. She just ran away. Just like, if I don't look at the cookies, I'm probably not going to be tempted. I'm just going to run. Then she tells her mom this later. Now, I'm just telling you, this is haunting, is it not? Why is it haunting? From, from a parent's perspective, this is haunting. Why? Because you feel like, okay, yeah, this is like, you, you know, the, the elite. No. Satan's whispering to your children. He's not not thinking, okay, only those are fair game, but the children are irrelevant. No, everyone is relevant. Everyone gets spiritual warfare. Everyone gets lies. This relates to you. And so verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Okay, now, be strong in who? In the Lord. In the strength of your might? No, in the strength of his might. Okay, now, you know, there's there's certain... um, shortcomings to every illustration. With this illustration, it seems like Daniel's really doing all the work. That's not true. Uh, The the truth is that the Lord is sovereign. He's in control. He's all-powerful, but he's not giving you a passive uh, role. You are to be active. You are to be strong. Not passive. Active, but not in your own strength, in his strength. So, if you're going to go against a supernatural force, you need supernatural resources. You're going against a supernatural force. You need the supernatural resources of God. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, why does it say whole armor of God twice? You'll notice that later on, Paul will say it again. Put on the whole armor of God twice. If he says it twice, he's probably trying to make some sort of point. What's the point? We got to put on the whole armor of God because the one piece of armor that you don't put on, that's the place where you're going to be attacked. In other words, Satan, one of his strategies is he exploits the weaknesses. If you don't put on the breastplate of righteousness, where is an enemy going to attack? Where you're weak. So you've got to put it all on. All of it on. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, I want you guys to say the word schemes with me. Schemes. Okay, schemes. A person who schemes plots. A person who plots is strategic in their thinking. A person who schemes and strategic in their thinking is intelligent. Basically, Paul is saying this personal force is intelligent. He thinks, he observes, he watches, and he moves. I'll give you one example of this. Uh, when we are, were in Mexico... Uh, We led the short-term missions trip, and there was one time where, you know, we were were interfacing with a lot of kids. And don't ask me how we got into this discussion, but we asked the kids if they've ever seen monsters. Like, when they were young, now, when they are younger, have you ever seen monsters, like demonic monsters? And to our surprise, a lot of them had. Like, way more than we thought had seen monsters. We're like, well, that's really surprising, because if you go upstairs to our kids... There's going to be a lot fewer number of people who would actually say, Oh, yeah, I've seen demonic monsters and they scare me half. A lot fewer. Maybe movies or graphic images from TV, but not, not they've actually seen demonic monsters. Why is that? It's because the devil schemes. And one scheme in one country among one ethnic group is not going to be the same scheme in another country in another ethnic group. In South America, the scheme is different from North America. In Africa and Asia, the scheme is different from North America. So he he does things very differently. Now, in America, with the Western scientific mind actually doesn't even believe in the existence of Satan, he goes covert. He goes underground. He whispers. He makes you feel like he doesn't even exist. And if Daniel were here and he didn't even know that, I'm, that there's this personal evil force that's trying to knock him out of the circle, then there's not going to be as much resistance. It's going to be much easier just to, I actually wouldn't push him off. I just invite him and we both walk off the circle together. In America, it's a different strategy. Uh, I'll give you another example of this. Um, there is a, a mother in our church, And uh, there's one time that she was uh, fighting with her husband. They got into this real um, heated argument. And then there was a gentle whisper in her ear. You should take the kids and leave. You know what she did? She said it. She said, I should take the kids and leave. Now, the moment she said that, her, her husband was really hurt. Like, I know we were fighting. I know we have a few issues, but... Not that bad that you would actually take the kids and leave. Now, so she, the husband was the first person to be shocked, and then she was the second person to be shocked, like, I can't believe I just said that, you know? I can't believe I actually thought that, and if I thought that then I, and I said it, that's totally from me. And She was like, I love my husband. Why would I say something like that? No, it just so happened that we were talking about spiritual warfare at the church, and she started to connect the dots together and say, oh my gosh. Could that have been the evil one whispering something in my ear? And I thought it was my own voice. I didn't even know he was around. And I I gave words to it and spoke it as my own. I mean, isn't that how the evil one works in America? Especially in America. Schemes. He schemes. He plots. He's intelligent. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, now, Paul talks about this oppressive array of forces. There's different levels, there's different kinds, there's different parts of the system like, okay, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, present darkness, spiritual forces, right? Now, He's giving this very full description and one of the reasons why is because he wants you to know that the force that has set its will against you is formidable. There's different parts. It's complex. There's a system. There's an organization. It's a formidable force. So don't underestimate it. But I want you to point your attention to the first part. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, okay, I don't think that Paul is saying that our only fight is against the evil one. I, I don't think he's saying that the only source of evil is from the devil. And we know that if you take the whole counsel of Scripture, there, there's evil that comes from our own choices, our own decisions from the human heart. There's evil that comes when human hearts are together in a community, and it's called the world. And then there's also a personal force of evil that's the evil one. So it's a lot more complex and nuanced than that. But here, I want want to throw something out for your consideration. I think there's a lot of people in our church that when we start talking about spiritual warfare, I think you tend to dismiss it. A lot of people in our church. And I would argue that you tend to dismiss it because of the Western scientific mindset that says, everything is caused by natural forces. And you're probably annoyed by people who take this verse and take it and run with it. And they just kind of blame everything on the devil. If I did anything bad, if anything bad happened in my life, and anything bad happened in the church, it's always the devil. They've always blamed the devil. And you're kind of like, well, where is the part of personal responsibility? Because I know that some people made some bad choices there, and they should own up to that. And when you say it's all on the devil, you take away from their own sin and their own responsibility. And so you tend to dismiss this whole thing about spiritual warfare because people go too extreme with this, right? We all know we all kind of share somewhat the same mindset because we, 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 we live here in this time, in this age, in this culture. Now, <clears throat> in the 17th century, there was this British Puritan minister who wrote a book on melancholy. Melancholy today, the modern term, would be depression, right? He was a very good pastor, and he said he's trying to uh, name the possible causes of melancholy, and he named four. Number one, Physical. There can actually be a a chemical imbalance in the brain. And that can be a source of depression. Number two, it could be psychological. Maybe when you were growing up, uh, you were neglected by your mother. So that left deep scars into your soul. And now you're in this place of depression because you're you're, you're lacking some of those emotional resources. Number three, it could be moral. Maybe you have a long-standing track record of unforgiveness in your life. That could be actually uh, reflecting and causing this, this source of depression. Now, I would say, in America, we go, okay, bam, that's it. It's probably one of the three. I believe that the Bible is a lot more nuanced in our thinking. That there is a physical world, you can see things, but there's also, intermingled with that, a spiritual world of invisible realities, and somehow they share the same space. So the Bible says, yes, and there is a fourth, which is the demonic A personal evil force that is actually planting and stimulating negative thoughts in your heart and mind. Now, I think it's too narrow in our thinking to just say, oh, it must be just one of those. I think a lot of the times, the way that the evil one engages with us, it's as a combination. You know, I'm weak in this area because of my my upbringing. Or I do have a chemical imbalance of the brain, but the evil one comes and he worsens it. He exacerbates it. He whispers around it. He brings it out. But not necessarily in every case does he cause it. And so a lot of times when we're talking about spiritual warfare, I think too easily we're we're skeptical. Oh, yeah, everything's Satan. No, the Bible's a lot more nuanced. There's a blend of different activities going on. But do not discount the spiritual element, the demonic influence that's at play in our lives. Do not discount that. Do not explain the Holocaust as simply bad men who are uneducated with a bad economy. Personal evil forces are at play here. And we cannot discount that or or dismiss it or underestimate their power. Okay, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, listen, there's a lot more verses that I could go into, and I want you to go into these verses in your own time. But the only one that I want to unpack, which I think is the foundational tool to spiritual warfare, is the belt of truth. Okay? There's more to say. Another time, another place. But I just want to say a little bit more about the belt of truth. I gotta tell you, this week has just been awful for me. <laughs> awful. I'll tell you what happened. I think it was on Monday. I had this dream in the wee hours of the morning that there was this couple in our church that I, I thought were really well connected and really happy, and they wanted a personal meeting with me, and they said, Andrew, we're really unhappy with the church, we're leaving. And I woke up and I was felt discouraged. I'm like, okay, that's just a dream. I don't think that's true. But there was something of the feeling of that discouragement that just kind of pervaded through my day. Then on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday morning when I, when I woke up, I don't know what was happening to me. There was just this cloud of depression over me. I just felt like I can't do anything. I can't stand up here and give a message. I can't do anything. I I have to tell you, I was, in, I was in the staff meeting. And all these thoughts were going through my head like I can't do anything. And I was thinking about the dream. And we're making some plans for the next season. And there was this almost, almost like saying, we can't do anything, you know? And suddenly it dawned on me, could this be spiritual warfare? I connect the dots. Okay, I'm speaking on it this Sunday. I just came out of vacation, so it's not like I'm really tired. I should be refreshed. And there's this oh, this oozy, just melancholy, oozing depression. Now, I can tend to struggle with depression from time to time. But I would say the evil one knows that's a weakness of mine. And so he's exploiting the weakness. He's making a bad disposition, if you will. And he's making it worse. Come around Tuesday, I'm like, okay, I'm on to you. <laughs> I know what's happening. And i got to tell you, it was a fight. Now, how did I fight? The belt of truth. I'm like, no, those are scourging thoughts. That's not true. You know why? Because resurrection power is working in me and in this church. How do I know that? In Ephesians. In Ephesians 119, Paul prays that the eyes of your hearts will be open so you can know the immeasurable power that's at work inside you. Now, I'm going to believe that voice, or I'm going to believe what the Scripture says. I'm going to believe what the Scripture says. I'm going to stand with everything I got. And so, I tell you, doing that staff meeting, I'm like, okay, if I really believe that, how am I going to act right now? I'm going to act joyful, not discouraged. And if, if I really believe in that, how am I going to plan right now? I'm, go- I'm fighting. I've I'm, got to tell you, I'm fighting. I'm standing. I'm fighting. That's what you have to do. You have to stay in that circle. You have to, you, you kind of wish, well, actually, we'll talk about that in a little bit. You have to stand, and you have to fight, and the most practical tip I can give you right now is the belt of truth, Scripture. God's, God's truth over you. Gilbert, come on up. Okay, now, this is the second half of our message. The, actually, what I've given you so far was just the intro. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wayne kept on saying that during our retreat. Um, okay, Gilbert, are you good? Okay, the person that's not talking is going to be sitting on this seat, Okay. Okay, now I asked Gilbert to come up and and to share the pulpit with me for a couple different reasons, okay? Um, Okay, we talked about how, okay, if we really engage the scriptures and think of our word biblically, there's a physical world, and that's real, obviously, it's very tangible, you can see things, but there's a spiritual layer, if you will, that, that co-mingles and shares the same space, and there's individual realities. Now, the scripture says, okay, this is the reality, okay? There's a natural world, there's a spiritual world, there's evil, demonic forces that are trying to take us off the circle. Okay, that's at play. Now, if you, if you really in- believe the scriptures and believe that worldview, then we're going to build some more things on top of that. And one of the things we're going to build is that God has gifted his church differently. And God has given uh, different gifts to different parts of the church. Now, one of the gifts that he's given to Gilbert, and this would be in 1 Corinthians 12.10, the ability to distinguish between gifts, between spirits. I'm sorry, the ability to distinguish between different spirits. Okay? So that is a supernatural gift that's given to, by the Holy Spirit, that allows people to be more aware of the spiritual realm and to see some of these in, invisible realities more aware than some other people. Some people are more gifted than this. I am not gifted at this, and that's why I need, like, a Gilbert in my life. Gilbert is more aware of these realities. He's actually seen some of these realities, and so I thought a firsthand personal account would be uh, interesting and, and hopefully compelling. So, so Gilbert... Um, so my first question for you just interviewing you as someone with this gift of distinguishing between different spirits have you ever seen a demon before
1: yes I have Um, and when I see them they're usually manifest actually a silhouette of a human being without really distinct features but they're always dark and what they manifest are the negative emotions you know fear anger hatred murder that kind of stuff and you know, when I think about it, when I, when I see like movie clips or video games that people play, a lot of those images are very similar. And I've come to, to believe that the people who wrote those uh, movies or created these videos, they had spiritual attack, they've had spiritual warfare, and they're writing these things out of their own experience, and there is truth in what they're writing. And I think the evil one uses this to desensitize us and desensitize the generation.
0: Yeah, I remember one time I asked you to describe it to me because I'm not very aware of these things, and the one image you gave me that always stuck is, have you guys seen Ghost? Remember Patrick Swayze and the whole clay, and remember that? You don't have to think about that scene, but <laughs> that's what I think. Okay, but do you remember the presentation uh, with, of, of, the, of the demonic? You know, it was, it was really creepy, it was really, and, uh, and Gilbert saying, yeah, that's actually very accurate in terms of what I see, you know? Okay. Now, the so a demon is used to be an angel serving God, but then that angel uh, uh, turned and followed Satan, and so these fallen angels are called demons. Let's talk about angels. If you've seen uh, demons, then I think the counter that would well, have you seen an angel?
1: Yeah. Yes. So angels actually really are the opposite. I mean, they still take on a similar silhouette that I see. but they manifest the fruits of the Spirit. So they manifest you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And the times that I've seen them the most here at CLC is during baptisms. And I've seen people in this church you know, praying and then we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit or we invite Jesus into our service. But I don't really think that's how it works. Um, they don't speak in English and they don't talk to us anymore. They talk to our hearts. And so the way we should invite the Holy Spirit is if all of us, like when in a um, baptism, we're all praising God, and we're all thanking God, and when the person who gives their testimony, we're just amazed at how God has moved in their lives, and we're thanking and praying. We're all of one accord. We're all of one spirit. We're manifesting the fruits of the spirit from our heart, and that invites them to come. When we do that, that invites them to come. And so Sunday morning, you know, I look around and I see half of us worshiping and praising the Lord and I see half of us not engaging. That does not invite the Spirit here. If I see 90% of us doing that and 10% not, it's very difficult for the Holy Spirit to come. It's very difficult. In fact, I would go as far as to say that if 99% of us are worshiping as a body, as Christians, and 1% are not, it is still difficult for the Holy Spirit to show up in power. We rob him of his power. We rob him of his miracles that day, of his provisions.
0: Now, when Gilbert and I were prepping for this message together, we, we, we wanted to share some of the personal firsthand story, but we didn't want to, the message to kind of get away from us because we didn't want it to be a celebration of the occult, right? But we wanted to share it just in as much as it's just helpful for people to realize, you guys, we're not just talking abstract theory. These are not just stories you share around the campfire. This is real. So, so Gilbert, I asked you if you would share some of the realities of these stories of, of engaging different spirits. I know that you've engaged certain demonic forces. Can you share a little bit about that? But we're not going to spend you know, the whole message just talking about that. But can you just give us a flavor of your experience?
1: Okay. Um, before I was a Christian, uh, my brother uh, bought a house in San Jose and he invited me to come sleep over. And I remember going there and the daytime was all fine and we were doing everything. At nighttime, I remember I heard a a breathing and I was like, asked my brother, do you hear that that breathing? What is that sound? And he says, I can hear it. I've heard it uh, almost every night I've been here but I don't know what it is. Seems to be coming from somewhere up in the attic. So I said, did you go look for it? And he said, I tried but I can't find it. So I just started looking around, and I started getting this really uneasy feeling over me. So I started following where it seemed to come, and I was going from room to room. And Pretty soon, it was the loudest near the front door. So I walked to the front door, and all of a sudden, my skin started to feel all tingly. I opened the door, and I look out, and there's a tree there. And I look up in the tree, and there he is. He's sitting in the tree, and he's breathing really loud. And I, looked at my, I called my brother, and I said, do you see that? Look here, look, here it is. Look, look. He looks at me. He says, I don't see anything. And I looked at that and I go, oh, and that was the last time I ever slept over at his
0: house. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm kind of like your brother. I, I, I can't see it as clearly as you can. And so I, I, I appreciate that God's gifted us kind of differently and he's put people in the church that can actually be aware to those sort of things. Now, now so we, we have stories like that. I've actually shared with you some stories of my own. Um, you know, like there's certain times where I'm, waking, I'm kind of in between sleeping and, and, and waking in bed. And I'll actually feel like a demonic force jump on top of me, and it, the experience. Sometimes it was almost like it was like, like like a cat crawling on you. So I felt pressure here, and then steps here, and then all of a sudden I was paralyzed. Another time it came. It was not just one; but it was multiple, and they came like chanting, like you know those the Buddhist chanting. It was like this gong, and it was beating, and there was this chanting. But I was in a very different place when that. So it's very hard to just say, oh, that's, those are just natural causes, right? So we've had experiences like that. I know people in the church have had experiences like that. But here's the thing. Our message are not like, oh, beware of these experiences. Our Satan is crafty. I think those actual full frontal assaults are just not that powerful. Because there are times when they jumped on top of me. I just go, in Jesus' name, get off me. And I just go back to bed. Big deal, right? So a lot of times for the this, this sleepy Christian, when, when there's spiritual warfare, that actually what happens is the Christians get stronger and they engage. And so that's bad news for the evil one. So a lot of times the scheme is very different, especially in America. So I want us to focus on that one verse that says uh, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, again, we we already shared the idea that his schemes in America is different from, like, Latin America, different from, uh, you know, Asia. It's different, right? Now, so we're talking about America, the American landscape. What about the CLC landscape? What do you think are the schemes of the evil one for here, the people in this local community? And I've been asking Gilbert, our assignment for this week was to really think and pray. What is that scheme for us? What is it relevant for us, for the people of this church? Gilbert, you go first. How would you answer that question? How does the evil one employ his schemes for us so we can raise our sense of awareness?
1: Okay, for me, when I think of spiritual warfare, well, uh, start off. Uh, well, to me, when I think of warfare, I think of a battle. I think of hand-to-hand combat and swords and blood and guts and all. And that is the farthest thing from spiritual warfare in this church or in this nation. Um, Really, it's a battlefield of the mind. It is a battle over who controls your mind. If he can, if he can um, convince you that he doesn't exist, then you won't engage him. And if he can plant his thoughts in our minds as if it's our own thoughts, they're familiar thoughts. We've heard them all our lives. So we, we take ownership of them and we act upon them. If he can do that, then he can control our minds. If he can control our minds, he controls our actions. And if he controls our actions, he controls us. So really, it's a battlefield of lies and deceptions that we believe come from our own minds. We don't think it's from, you know, anyone else talking to us. We think it's us telling us what we've always known. We're unworthy, we're unfaithful, we're undeserving, we're weak, we can't do it. Those are thoughts that a lot of us have, and we just act on it. Sadly, we act on it. Instead of realizing what it is, it's it's a lie. It's a lie after lie after lie that we just believe. So... To give you an example, I'm going to make up a story here that that some of you may relate to, some of you may not, but what I'd like you to do is put yourself in the place of this person that I'm making up, and I'm going to go through kind of a typical thing that I've seen happen to me time and time again. Um, For example, let's say it's Friday night, and I mean Saturday night, you've worked all week, you're tired, you know, and you're getting ready for bed because you know Sunday is church and you're going to come here. So... Um, as you get to bed, you're thinking to the Lord, um, Lord, um, I've been, it's been so hard to get me and my family here at 10.30. In fact, I've come here usually at 10.45, and I'm, I feel pretty good about it. So tomorrow morning, I promise you, if, if you give me extra grace and if, extra mercy, that I will be here at 10.15. I will be here 15 minutes early to worship you. If you will be by my side, if you will guide me. And so the next morning comes, and sure enough, you don't wake up early enough. set your clock and something happened so you're a little so you're a few minutes behind and then you rush off to get the kids and, and for some reason they're not in a great mood and they're fighting you and they're just just giving you resistance and so now you're 15 minutes behind you get them all dressed and you get them down to breakfast and and now they don't want to eat they don't like what you serve you know they're just fussy you don't know why they just are and you're praying lord help me lord i want to get there on time i want to serve you what's going on lord i ask for special provisions where are you lord and so finally the kids are fussing and somebody spills the breakfast all over them. So then you've got to go back and you've got to rechange their clothes. Now you're half an hour late. Now you'll be lucky to get here at 10.45. So you, and then you race over here and you're irritated and you're rushed. And when you're getting here, you know, you're teaching your kids to hate church. You're teaching your kids church is no fun. Church is work. Church is an effort. It's not a blessing. It's not, it's not where I want to be. You know, that's what you're teaching them by your attitude, by your actions, by how you're treating them and how you're treating your spouse. So you get here, you plop yourself down, you know, you pretty much miss worship and it's almost time for Andrew to speak and your mind is racing because you're like, Lord, what happened? You know, I'm even later than I normally am and I tried to do the best, you know, I tried to honor you. Lord, where are you? Help me. Don't you care, Lord? Where are you? And by that time, Andrew's starting to speak and you're like, oh, okay, wait, wait, Andrew's speaking now. What's he speaking on? And you pick up the program and you're looking, okay, this is what he's speaking on. And by then you missed the first 10 minutes of what he's speaking on. So then, okay, now you're concentrating. Now you're going to try and engage him. And as you're engaging him, uh, all of a sudden you start feeling relaxed. You start feeling comfortable. And this heaviness comes over you. Your eyelids start to get heavy. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm here to worship God. Help me, Lord. Give me extra blessing to listen. And it's certain, certain enough, you know, this voice in your mind is just taking over. And you're just relaxing more and more and more. And pretty soon you hear Andrew praying and you wake up. Because you know the, service, uh, the sermon's over and you've got 15 minutes before the end of church. So then you start really singing. And then you start you know, listening to Peter giving worship and you're standing up and you're praising him. And you're thinking, well, in 15 minutes, I'm going to meet my friends for lunch. Where should we go? And your mind is just just going on and on. And, And what's happening is you're actually going through spiritual warfare. You don't know it, but you are. Those voices in your head are telling you to do things you don't want to do. You prayed not to do it. In your heart of hearts, you did not want to do this. But you end up doing it time and time again because we believe the lies. We believe the spiritual warfare. It's very effective. He's very deceptive. I've heard these voices all my life, and I have to tear it down every time I hear it now. It's just so powerful. So usually, um, what you're going to have to do um, when you hear these things, you're going to have to really stand strong in the Lord. You're going to have to cling to the truth, and the truth will set you free. You need to rest in the Lord. Resist the evil one. Rest in the Lord. And how you rest in the Lord is by manifesting the fruits of the Spirit in your heart. If you fight him, If you accuse him, if you say, okay, I know this is not for me, and you blame him and you attack him, you lost. His goal is to get us to react. Um, He cannot read our minds. The evil one cannot read our minds. Um, He could only see how we respond. Um, Jesus knows there's no battle. Jesus defeated the evil one at the cross. The, The devil knows there's no battle. He lost. He wants to see if we know that. And if he attacks us and we react by anger, accusations, he says in his mind, well, that person does not believe it. He believes a lie. I'm going an to attack and you're lost. What you have to do is turn your back on the evil one. Look to the Lord and start thanking him, praising him, mm-hmm. worshiping mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. heart. Prayer is what our defense is. And when you do that, the evil one has to flee. He has to flee.
0: So, so that's what's happening. It's not my fault. It's I'm joking. Hypothetical. Hypothetical. Hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically. Uh, hypothetically yeah. uh, let me let me take one shot at it, and then my part for the most part of teaching is done. Okay. I'm I'm thinking about this all week. Okay. I, yeah. I don't often do this, but I'm actually putting on the mindset of the evil one, and I'm thinking about his scheme for our church. Now, there there was um, a person in our church who always used to say, "What does success look like?" Right. So when the evil one is working, what are his goals for success in the church? And I think maybe we're thinking towards extremes like, okay, his goal must be he wants me dead or he wants to break up my marriage or he wants me to apostatize and leave the faith. I'm sure those will all be goals that he would like. But here's, I think, a goal for him that's a lot more achievable. Listen, please listen to me on this. I think the evil one, the goal for our church, I've really been thinking about this, is I think he wants to make us lukewarm. I just think about that. I mean, if there are a lot of lukewarm people in this church, that's what he wants to do. And, but it's, it's not lukewarm and I'm discontent being lukewarm. I really want God to revive. It's not like that. It's lukewarm and I'm just fine being lukewarm. Now, why, why would he want that as a goal? Because if you're lukewarm, then you're basically ineffective as a Christian. Look, we're, we've been talking about Ephesians, Right? Living a life that demands explanation. When someone's lukewarm, they look at your life, they're like, it's no different from anyone else in the world. I'm not demanding any sort of explanation. You're ineffective as a Christian. Now, Now, I'm just thinking from a satanic perspective. Even better than just killing you off is having you stay lukewarm, have no plans to change it, and just plant you in the church so you can teach everyone around that it's okay to be lukewarm, have no plans to change it, And somehow, this can be a culture of lukewarmness. Now listen, I'm saying this because I love you guys. That is not God's plan for you. But I'm trying to think, like, okay, if that's the goal, then what's the lie that he's been giving us? And I I do think the lie, again, I've been really thinking about this, the lie is this. I'm going to state this succinctly, and then I'm going to give Gilbert the final words. I think the lie... If we are lukewarm, if there is a lie that we're believing, I think it's the world has a better party than God does. The world has more pleasure to offer than God does. So when I'm looking for my ultimate pleasure, I'll go through all the things in this world that I enjoy, but I'll go to God for fire insurance. Because when I die, I don't want to go to hell. But when I'm operating and living and really engaging my passions, I don't go to God to fulfill my passions. I go to the world because the world has a better party. Now, maybe there's people in here believing in that, or you're like, okay, well, I'm lukewarm, and the reason I'm lukewarm is probably because I'm believing in that lie. And the truth is that this kind of thinking is idolatry. The truth is that not only is it morally wrong to think this way, but it's practically unsatisfying that the truth is ultimate pleasure is actually found in God. Because he created all forms of pleasure. And secondary, earthly pleasure is to be enjoyed as a gift from God exercised with self-control and self-restraint. That's the truth. So we're going to have some more time to really think this through in prayer ministry, but Gilbert wanted to give you the last word, and then we're going to go into some time where we can respond.
1: Okay, what I wanted to um, close with is just uh, my recent path to really getting reborn in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've been a Christian for over three decades, and uh, I mean, like, uh, Becca hasn't even gotten close to that. (laughs) But anyway, um, uh, when I first became a Christian, it was really powerful. Uh, I saw the the power and majesty of, of Jesus Christ when I became a Christian, and it was so powerful that it scared me. And because I got scared, I started listening to this voice in my head that said, I can't do it. It's too powerful. It's too strong. You're going to go crazy if you keep seeing these things and listening to these things. No one's going to believe you if you, tell you if you tell them. So, you know, you've got to stop. You have to start praying to Jesus to take it away. And I believed that voice because I thought it was my own voice. So I believed it. And so I, after a while, I started praying, Jesus, you know, take this away from me. It's too much for me. I can't handle it. And sadly, after weeks of praying, he he took it away. And I didn't see it again for 25 years. and I actually thought I was doing great. I was going to church. I was going to uh, reading my Bible. I was going to Sunday school. I was going to small groups. I went to Mount Hermon's, Gems, Mount Hermon's. I went to men's Christians' conferences. I thought I was doing exactly what a Christian's supposed to do. But in reality, as I look back now, I was just a lukewarm Christian. I didn't know it, but I was. I was happy that way. I thought that was the right thing to do. But now, now uh, seven years ago, uh, when, when the Lord finally convicted me to go to Monterey, Mexico with uh, Pastor Andrew, um, I did re-me- uh, get reborn. I met the Holy Spirit again. And I started seeing what I saw way back when I first became a Christian. And it was powerful. It was really powerful. It changed my life. I remember Andrew, at toward the end of the conference, told, came up to me and he told me that two months prior to the uh, mission strip, the Holy Spirit told him that he was going to witness my rebirth. And that really confirmed what the Lord was telling me. When he told me that, I just knew that that was the Holy Spirit. And since then, I have been reaching for the Lord. I have been trying to actively engage Um, In every trial that we go through, in every tribulation, in every problem, there is the Lord's provision, and it's right in front of you. He will not drop it in your lap. He wants you to engage. He wants you to reach out. He wants you to be obedient. He wants you, he wants your heart. So you have to reach out, and when you do, he will give you the provision. He will give you the teaching. That teaching is usually something on the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. He's trying to teach you these things. He's trying to teach you these qualities in all the problems of our lives, in all our walks. There are no exceptions. The problem is we don't see it that way. We see the problem and we complain. We see the problem and we say, oh, poor me, and we start telling everybody and we start looking for answers and we start struggling in our own strength and we lose and we lose the gift of of the Holy Spirit. We We lose his provision. What we have to do is, we have to learn to stand strong in the Lord. It is the easiest thing to do, and it is the hardest thing to do. I mean, uh, we need to renew our minds in the Lord, and and what that means is, we we as a church, we are so educated here, and we can provide ourselves with all the goodness that this world can provide, and that. Unfortunately, it's a problem for us because we think from our heads. We think logically and rationally. Everything we do is from our heads. We don't use our hearts. We use our heads. And that gets in the way because the Holy Spirit and Jesus doesn't speak to our head. He speaks to our heart. The evil one speaks to our head. And that's where we're engaging and that's where we're losing. We have to renew our minds. We have to learn how to distinguish these battles and we have to respond By standing strong, resist the Lord, and he will, I mean, resist the evil one, and he will um, uh, flee from you. You have to start, so uh, the reason why it's so illogical is like if you're in a warfare with someone, you do not turn your back on the person and start praising and honoring God. What you do is you fight. And that's the illogic that is hard for us to grasp because the Lord says turn away from the evil one, from your problems, from your attack, and start thanking the Lord for everything he's done, all the blessings. Start praising him. Start singing songs in your heart, and the evil one will vanish because he knows that the victory is already ours. There is no battle. The battle's won. We just have to claim it and resist, and that's the end of it. Can I, of course, he, he does... Attack us every day. After you win the battle, sorry, he will attack us over and over and over. It's not just a one-time battle. It's every day of your life, the rest of your life, you're going to have to deal with this.
0: Uh, can I have the church stand? And we're going to have a time for ministry, a time for prayer, a time for corporate response. Yes, I'm going to ask the, whole, the, the worship team if they would come forward. Now, we, we're not going to start thinking about dark things or start, you know, thinking, focusing on evil. That's not how it works. What we're going to do is actually we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and we're going to uh, sing words like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. We're going to sing the song we're going to sing this song, and what we're doing is we're not focusing on evil. We're actually inviting the Holy Spirit's presence. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes in his presence, he floods the place with light. And if there's darkness that we're holding on to, if there's darkness that's influencing us, then suddenly the dark becomes more dark because the place is filled with light. Okay? That's how we fight. We fight by being strong in the Lord. So we're going to invite the Holy Spirit's presence to come. And then if he brings stuff to mind and to a heart, then we're going to deal with it, but deal with it in the flood of his light, glory, grace, and power. Okay, so we asked Rebecca if she would go ahead and sing this song. So let's sing it and let's invite the Holy Spirit to come. (laughs) Okay.
2: more that will never come close nothing can compare you're our living hope
0: I've been waiting all week to to declare some truth that I think would be really relevant for our church. And uh, for all the people here in this church, and your honest confession is that I'm lukewarm. I, I don't have this beating passion for God, God's just one part of my life, but I have many parts. He's not at the center. I don't have a lot of joy. I'm not really all that excited to be a Christian. And there's some truth that just needs to be spoken. And I'm just asking you, if that's you, would you just agree with the truth and just stand in the truth? And and here's the truth. The truth is that ultimate pleasure can only come from God. There is only one person who can ultimately satisfy you, and that is Jesus Christ Himself. And to think anything otherwise is just going to lesser gods that will ultimately leave you wanting more and unsatisfied ultimately. So when we go to, for ultimate pleasure, maybe in our mind it's like it's this Korean drama or this video game or maybe it's sexual intimacy I don't know or maybe it's something it's some sort of addiction but hear the truth imagine Jesus and you can only find your ultimate joy in me don't go to these lesser gods don't go to these things that will addict you or enslave you come to me for ultimate joy and peace and rest come to me for your joy and so if, 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 uh, if you actually are like, you know, I am kind of lukewarm today, and I guess it actually is connected to how I view God, and maybe I just kind of see Him as fire insurance, you know. I'm, I'm here out of duty, but not out of delight. And the truth, you need to stand in. So that it is only God who can ultimately please you. Not just spare you from hell, but actually satisfy your ultimate pleasure. So you can say, I have God, and I, ha- I need nothing else. That is the truth. Will you enter into the truth? Will you stand into that truth? Will you claim that truth and say, Jesus, okay, I I want to experience you to that level where my ultimate joy and
1: satisfaction is found in you. While uh, Pastor Andrew was praying, I got this image. Uh, It's an image of all of us standing in a dark cave. Um, And the cave is the spiritual battlefield. The battlefield of the mind and out at the opening of the cave there seems to be this thing that's dropping down from the top and it it looks like an iron gate Um, if you're in a battle it looks like an iron gate but what we're supposed to do is go to the lord we're supposed to stand strong in the lord we're supposed to rest in his arm and that gate turns into a spider web and that spider web just disintegrates and vanishes and before we know it we are sitting in the lap of the lord So my prayer right now, and the word that comes to me is what Andrew shared, the word is truth. Truth comes to me really powerfully right now, and um, what the Spirit seems to be telling me is that we need to stand in the truth, and the truth is that we are all victorious already. There is no battle. We stand in victory. We fight from victory, not to victory. We should have no doubt in our mind. When the when the evil one attacks and he will he could be attacking you right now he could be confusing your thoughts right now it might be hard for you to hear these words right now because that's how he operates he operates in our mind he will not knock you over he will not tackle you he will speak to you with a small whisper that almost sounds like the Holy Spirit but it is not the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart mainly he will not tell you anything that creates harm or creates discord in your life. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it is about hope. It about love, it's about faith. It has nothing to do with negative thoughts. That's from the evil one. It's not from you. Do not take ownership of it. Do not believe it. That is a lie. That is a lie we've lived with all our lives. It's time to stop believing the lie. So, dear Heavenly Father, in your precious and holy name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord our Savior and our God we come to you right now on bended knees we come to you as your child we need you so much we are so weak we are so confused but we want you father we want you we need you Lord Jesus come to us teach us how to stand strong teach us how to stand strong teach us to rest teach it give us that image in our mind right now of sitting in your lap with you holding us, with us hugging you, and with just giving thanks to you for all you've done. Lord Jesus Christ, we just ask you right now to just bless everyone here. Bless their hearts, bless their spirits, bless their lives, bless their families, Father. Look after them as they go away from here and let this word touch their hearts and change their lives in the name and power of our Lord Jesus Christ.